You're listening to Self-Publishing Journeys, the weekly podcast for all new and aspiring self-published authors. Stand by for tips, resources, hints, and practical techniques to help you on your own self-publishing journey. Meet indie authors at different stages of their writing careers and hear how they manage to get their own books published and making sales. For show notes, web links, and useful resources, please head to selfpublishingjourneys.com. Now, here's your show host, self-published author and digital marketer, Paul Teague. Welcome to Self-Publishing Journeys, episode number 48 for Monday, the 30th of January, 2017. My guest on today's podcast is Pip Reed, the co-founder of Bible Pathway Adventures, a children's author and an app creator. She's based in New Zealand and will be more familiar to readers as Pip Dumbbell, which is the author name that has appeared on books prior to her recent marriage. Pip writes adventures that help to bring the Bible to life for parents and children and has a strong desire to create tools that help children understand the true foundation of their faith. Pip completed a diploma in writing for children before embarking on her own authorial career. When I spoke to Pip for the podcast, I asked her how she first got into writing. As a child, I really enjoyed reading. I used to read a lot. My father would take my brother and I to the library every Friday night, and I would come back with a huge pile of books that I would polish off during the weekend because I was such a speed reader. And um, so I guess that's where I developed a love of reading. And at school, I would write short stories, and I just really enjoyed that. But when you hit high school, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in New Zealand, you end up just writing essays and quite dry types of writing like that. And so any sort of creative writing um, uh, interest that I had sort of went out the window. And so I didn't do anything, for, oh, gosh, for about 30 years. And during that time, you know, I, I went overseas. And uh, in New Zealand, we have this uh, this experience called the OE, the Overseas Experience. And the usual pattern is that you go to university or you do some higher education and then you take off to London with your two-year work permit and you spend some time living and working in London and traveling around Europe. And so I did a variation of that. I ended up in the UK, uh, but because I have a British passport, I didn't feel the need to sort of lock myself in there for two years. So I ended up doing a lot of travel through Africa. I worked in Nepal for a couple of years and um, then went on to China and Taiwan and wasn't interested in writing at all, didn't even consider it and uh, came back to New Zealand and just started working in the, I guess, in the corporate world. Um, My background is international trade. And about five years ago, I was working for uh, a company called Learning Media, which at the time was New Zealand's largest educational publisher, and I was made redundant. And so after I took a couple of months off, I thought, well, you know, what what can I do? So I picked up a part-time job, and uh, one day I saw a an advertisement for a government-funded creative writing course, and I thought, oh, well, you know, that sounds interesting. Um, I'd always had this desire to write for children but never done anything about it, so I went along to the course, and they make you do this sort of simple test, English test, really, and uh, so I did the test, and I did so well, they wouldn't let me on the course, but what it did do was um, show me that I had some ability, and I just thought, you know what, I used to write as a kid, I haven't done anything. I've got this desire to write for children. Maybe I should do something about that. So I went home and I spoke to my now husband and I said, you know, I've got this idea for a sort of Bible story series, um, but I don't know how to write for children. I said, do something. So I ended up enrolling on an online course called Writing for Children through the New Zealand Institute of Business Studies. And that was fantastic. So I would work um, 
part-time in the afternoons and every morning I would sit and I was one of those geeky adult students that actually was quite diligent <laughs> and I, I'd finished the course in six months. But what the course showed me was the type of writing um, that I enjoyed because the course included, I think, 10 or 12 modules and they had you write in a different style. So you might have to create a picture book in one module or write creative nonfiction in another module. And so it sort of forced you to try different styles of writing for children. And the module that I absolutely loved was a creative writing module. And I did this assignment where I wrote, um, you had to write 500 words. So I picked the story of Joseph out of the Bible and um, had all these fun fact boxes surrounding it. And I, you know, pulled off some cartoons and, it was one of those uh, pieces of homework that you sit in the chair and six, six hours later you sort of look up and you've enjoyed it so much, you've been so focused that you're like, this is it. And so when I finished the uh, course, the diploma, I just thought, well, I'm just going to keep writing in this style. And um, yeah, and there you go. So that was how things began. Now, I assume then that faith features very highly in your life or was that the motivation to write the Bible stories? Yes, it was. So my husband is a Bible teacher. He's been a teacher for many, many years. And I guess, uh, I guess faith is central to our lives. And so when I thought about writing, I wanted to write something that had purpose and had value. So, uh, and also we had been on this journey where we had started looking um, more deeply at things in the Bible. You find in Christianity that while there's um, some truth, there's actually a lot of error, a lot of man-made traditions. And we wanted to create a series where we just stripped that away and looked at what is actually the truth of the biblical account. And when you actually look at that, it's actually quite, it's a lot more exciting than, say, the traditional stories that we've been told. So I'll give you an example. Say you've got the uh, birth of Jesus and the traditional scene is you've got the three wise men, you know, standing around the, uh, the manger and it's all sort of lovely and everyone's white. And, um, but the truth is those wise men, they would have turned up probably 18 months later. They wouldn't have been there at the birth. They were actually uh, from the Parthian Empire, which was an enemy empire and would rival the Roman Empire in its day and the Magi or the wise men were actually known as the kingmakers and they would have turned up in a uh, huge entourage and so the Bible actually says and all of Jerusalem was troubled. Well they wouldn't have been troubled if three wise men had turned up on, on camels but they may have been troubled if you had this entourage um, from the Parthian Empire turning up. So we in one of the stories Birth of the King we, we show this um, and so that, that's what I mean, just stripping away the tradition, what does the Bible actually say, and also introducing some historical context. Um, and so that's what you'll find with our stories. We have the story, but then we also, in the app version, have um, what we call adventure scrolls, where we flesh out a bit of the historical context to show people there's actually a bit more than what they might have learned or been taught as a kid, just looking at the sort of the normal Bible stories. Now, whether you come from a place of faith or not, the Bible is mm. the original great storybook, isn't it? It's full of brilliant, engaging stories. You know, I remember them as a kid. And I can still remember of all the stories that we learned in our RE lessons. So it's great source material, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things. I don't actually have to think what to write. The stories are there. It's just how you flesh them out. And, um, I mean... Bible stories are full of drama, and what 
we've found uh, is if you look at sort of traditional Bible story books, they're a bit, I don't know, a bit watered down. And so what we're trying to do is bring out, and that's why we call it Bible Pathway Adventures, because they are adventures. And so, for example, we our story on the 10 plagues, we call it Escape from Egypt, you know, or Saved by a Donkey or Betrayal of the King, where you have Judas betraying Jesus. So we try and, uh, if you look at our illustrations, they're, they're a bit more dramatic than your average Bible story collection, because they are, they're full of drama. And it's with our story, again, the birth of the king, you know, we've got the Parthians turning up in Jerusalem. We don't show the traditional nativities scenes. So I agree with you. It's, um, I mean, I could spend my whole life writing dramatic stories from the Bible. It's just how many hours in the day do you have? I've got to tell you, I, I'm really drawn by the artwork uh, in your project. I, the pictures are just amazing. And as an adult and a child, I, I would be drawn to those. How are those produced? You must have an artist on as part of the team. Absolutely. So, well, actually, one of our taglines is Bible stories for kids and parents, because we find that the parents enjoy the stories as much as the kids. Uh, But yeah, just getting back. So we have an illustrator called Tom Barnett, uh, Thomas Barnett. He's based in Wisconsin in the States. And we met him through a platform called Upwork. I'm not sure if you heard of that. It used to be known as Elance. And that's where you can go and find freelancers from all around the world. Uh, and it's worked really well for us. And so when I started off writing in the style, I would just pick stock images off the um, internet and just sort of insert them in my little prototypes, I guess. Uh, and then we decided, look, let's find an illustrator who can work alongside us. So I went on at work and I uh, posted a project and we were you know, looking for an illustrator to illustrate Bible stories. And we got quite a few um, responses. But Tom's response, he you know, he he stood out from the others because he genuinely cared, you know, because you can find anyone to do anything, but really what you want is someone who cares about what you're doing. And so Tom submitted a sample, and there was just something about him that Curtis and I said, you know, we want to work with this guy, and Tom has been absolutely fantastic. He has been with us from the beginning, and he just continues, you know, his style develops, um, and so we, we have got a process now that we've developed over the last three and a half years. And what we do is when we come up with a story, so I'll draft out a story and then we'll get on Skype with Tom. So we do everything with Tom over Skype and Dropbox and PayPal. So we get on Skype with Tom and we call it an illustration brief party. So we'll sit there and we'll go through each page because the stories are only between 15 and 20 pages long and we'll talk about our ideas. And the good thing with Tom is he's become a friend. So he's able to push back at any moment if he doesn't think we've got a good idea. And sometimes him and Curtis will go backwards and forwards. But the whole purpose is to come up with a great illustration. So we have the illustration brief party and then Tom will go away and sketch out what we call roughs or pencil roughs. And then he'll send those to us. And then we get on Skype again and we have what we call a rough party. And that's where we go through and make sure that our ideas have um, He's captured our ideas and then uh, and we make some tweaks and, you know, make sure that he's showing, uh, say, you know, chariots in 
you know, an accurate way. Uh, and then he'll go away and ink them. And then we'll have what I think we call it an inking party. So he'll send us through the um, finished illustrations. And then what we'll do is we'll get on Skype and we screen share onto his Photoshop um, platform. And we'll go through each illustration and we'll just um, oh, change this color, actually add this, move this uh, around and yeah, and then we come up and then he will send us via Dropbox the PSDs and the PNGs that we need to um, yeah, to use. So we've kind of got out, we've honed our process, but Tom's absolutely fantastic and the project has become so much bigger than we all thought and he's just stuck with us through it and he absolutely loves us. So, oh, sorry, loves, loves the project, not loves us, but yeah. Well, the pictures are, are amazing, really eye-catching. I want to just dig in, before we go into the, the detail of the team members and, and how all of this is put together a little bit more, I just want to ask mm-hmm. you, so how did the, the Bible Pathway Adventures project come about? Are you, are you the core of it and then do you use freelancers or are you a team of people? No, so so my husband and I are the core of it. He he has a full time job, so I work on Bible Pathway Adventures. So I feel like I'm the sort of the project manager. And so we sit in New Zealand, and everyone that we work with is based overseas. And so they are all freelancers, and we just bring them in as needed. So I'm doing the writing, but I'm also managing uh, everything as well. So managing the people, managing the platforms. Yeah, it really is a full-time job, Paul. There's just so much. The more content you create, the more there is to do, it seems. And then, of course, you know, you're listening to podcasts and you hear a good idea and it's, oh, I'll implement that. And sometimes I just there aren't enough hours in the day to do whatever you want. So, yeah. But you're, you're working in a really modern way. You know, I'm in the UK. You're in New Zealand now. You've got your illustrator in Wisconsin, you said, and you've got the team mm-hmm. all, all over the world. And you're doing this via Skype and Dropbox. Isn't that an incredible way to be able to run a self-publishing business? It's amazing. Oh, absolutely. We, we couldn't have, I don't think we could have done this 10 years ago. Or we could have, but we may have had to use New Zealand freelancers, and they're so much more expensive than, uh, and that's one of the reasons we use uh, everyone's based offshore is the cost. It is just so much cheaper than using New Zealand based freelancers, unfortunately. And so, in a way, uh, budget has forced us to do that. But also, uh, for example, our, our audio producer, Troy, Hudson, who's based in the States, we particularly wanted an American accent to narrate our Bible stories. And so you're more likely to find that in the States than New Zealand. So, um, yeah, we use, we use a mixture of software. We use Skype. We use Google Drive. We use uh, Dropbox. Uh, I think those are the main – and PayPal. And between and, – and email, of course. Um, and between those uh, platforms, we just managed to get everything done. And are you mainly finding your freelancers through uh, Upwork or do you go to Fiverr sometimes? Do you, do you spread it around a little bit? Uh, mainly through Upwork. Um, we've had the best success there. I tried Fiverr once, but they really messed up the process to the point where I thought I don't need to do this again. So I, I was a bit put off Fiverr. Um, but up, Upwork generally is where we find the most um, experienced freelancers. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I've had good experiences. I used it with Elance, and I had a whole software built a couple of years ago with an excellent coder who I never even met, and it was all done on Skype. We built a whole software, and you're doing a similar thing. But I think the I think the kind of the the quality and for bigger jobs, Upwork is probably better. Fiverr's probably for what I call micro jobs, you know, little little tiny graphics, one offs, and things like that. Is my my personal experience. Would you concur with that? Yes, yeah, my job on Fiverr, I needed to get some Hindi uh, titles for some of our stories, and 
because it was such a small job, I couldn't really find anyone on Upwork. I probably didn't look too hard. But so I went on Fiverr and I thought, well, I'll, I've heard a lot about this platform. I'll give it a go. And I mean, the quality was okay. I'm not sure if I'd use it again, but I'd agree. I think it's great for these small little graphics jobs. Okay, so let's talk about how this team grew. It started with the mm-hmm. two of you, and then uh, it's quite a big team. Now, if you look on the website, it looks like you've got a cast of thousands. There's all those lovely cartoons on there show, <laughs> showing the team, and they look like they're all around the world. Is that is that right? How far do you how far have you gone for your team? Um, yeah, I mean that's that's only half of them. Oh really? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We are, yeah, I mean I could include more, but it's yeah, it's just one of those. It's on the to do list. Um, yeah, so we uh, use we work. So I work with Sunet, who's our book designer. She's in South Africa. I've got Susan, our Swahili translator. She's in Nairobi. You've got Han, the app developer. He's in Shenyang in China. Uh, Troy W. Hudson's in South Carolina. Tom, our illustrator's in Wisconsin. I've got um, Prabhakar, our Hindi translator. He's in Delhi. I've um, who else? Oh, I've got um, Lena, our Indonesian translator. She's in Jakarta. I've got Ramul, who's our Tagalog or Filipino translator in Manila, and and so it goes on. Like every, it literally is. Everyone's spread around the world. Our web designer. Crystals in Oklahoma in the States. So it really is, yeah, it really is sort of a global business model in, in a way. This It's an amazing model, Pim. I've never spoken to anybody who's done anything like this. I, I, I noticed when I was um, doing the research for the interview that you'd chosen, as you just alluded to earlier, uh, an American voice for the, for the audio, yet you're getting – uh, translations done. You said Indonesian, Swahili, Filipino. Um, why have you chosen the languages as you have? So, well, we started off English only. I mean, this is the thing with the project is you just start and then things evolve as you, as you go along and you get feedback. And so I guess, um, how do we choose our languages? Really, well, to be honest, I just looked on Wikipedia and I thought, <laughs> what, are the t- what are the top 10 spoken languages in the world? And so most of them you'll find um, in the, uh, on that list. So I, I guess um, Spanish, of course, because that covers South America and North America to a certain extent. You've got Tagalog. I mean, the Philippines, I can't remember the population of the Philippines, but of course they have, you've got a lot of people of faith in the Philippines. Um, Indonesia, again, another populated country. Um, Swahili covers a bit of Africa. You know, Hindi and Bangla, you've got the um, subcontinent covered. Um, French, I have a friend who's a, who's French, who's married a friend of ours living in New Zealand. So that was more an opportunity. Uh, German, we had a guy interested. And so it's like, well, why not? Um, and, and so, yeah, there wasn't really any real science behind choosing the languages. It was more just how do we get, you know, cover the world to a certain extent. And then, oh, we had our Russian translator, Harori, who I met on Artwork. And he said, oh, well, I, he lives in the Ukraine. So he said, oh, well, I can do Ukrainian as well. I was like, oh, okay, well, why not? <laughs> so we ended up, that's how we ended up um, choosing Ukrainian, although I probably wouldn't have chosen it otherwise. Um, yeah, but, uh, so, so, yeah, I can't, yeah, so no real science around it it's more like just how can we cover up our bases it's an incredible it's an incredible uh, model it really is but um one of the things that occurred to me when you're just talking there of course is that you know, if i were to do this I- i'm writing books that are you know fifty thousand and more words and, and that's going to cost me an awful lot to have those translated how many words are you dealing with roughly with the with the children's books uh generally the stories are between two and three thousand words 
So they could be, uh, I guess, yeah, 15 to 20 pages in each page. I guess, yeah, divide that by sort of two, two and a half thousand. So, yeah, I'm not writing a novel. So you do have um, a little bit more time than, say, if you're bashing out a 100,000 word novel like that. Um, and, yeah, the translation, it's, yeah, you're not sort of paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars to have a story translated. It's much, much cheaper than that. And, of course, what you get with our project is you get people of faith responding. And so they sometimes they volunteer, like Lena, our Indonesian translator. She, she just serves into the project. She doesn't want any payment. And then you get others who um, don't have any faith who just want to be involved in a really creative project. And so they'll do it, but they'll do it cheaply because for the opportunity to become involved. Because, for example, example, our Russian translator, he wrote me and said, you know, I've dreamed all my life of being able to translate this type of um, work because he just does dry medical texts mm-hmm. and reports. And suddenly you get an opportunity to do some children's stories with these wonderful illustrations. And it's a lot more interesting than, you know, uh, translating a report from DuPont or something like that. <laughs> It's funny you say that because my proofreader says the same thing. You know, when when one of my thrillers comes in, uh, just a bit of straight action and drama, you know, it's a light relief if you've just done a really technical work. So they actually find it a lovely palate cleanser, I think, a lot of the time. Absolutely. And so what I do, I have a process with my translators um, that I've developed. And so I will send them a Word document. And so they provide the translation under each paragraph so I can make sure that they've translated each paragraph. And then I will put it into, um, I use Keynote because I work off a MacBook. So I mock up um, the ebook using Keynote and then I send them the illustrated file and then they can check that their uh, translation is in context. And uh, that, yeah, and so then they'll send me back a revised Word document if they want to make any changes. And so we go backwards and forwards until they're happy with the translation. So I keep them hanging. I don't give them the illustration straight away. And I think that they, they look forward to seeing the illustrated version. Um, so it's kind of a little game we play. <laughs> that, I, I, it's really it's such an impressive model. Now, the, the other thing that, um, that does strike me, um, you know, with, with these translations is that normally if I went about this, I would have to go – um, and maybe do uh, rights arrangements to sell in different territories. But under this arrangement, you're, you're paying people to do it as a job and you retain the rights in that territory, which is a pretty lean way of doing things. Yes, absolutely. So we own the rights to absolutely everything um, to do with Bible Pathway Adventures and everyone who works for us, yeah, we do it on a payment basis so they, um, they don't have the right to do anything. Now, saying that, we allow like our translator, to, uh, sorry, not our, our illustrator to, to use our work to promote him, him, his work. Um, but, yeah, that's a deliberate um, choice. We don't want to give away anything because we want total control. And that's, I think, the beauty of self-publishing. You have absolute control to use your material how you want without asking permission. Which would you say are the uh, most um, lucrative, lucrative, we'll use the word lucrative, territories for you? Because I'm in the UK and the States always works best for me. Have you found something different with your experience because you're doing so many different translations? Uh, I think, um, well, the US is always um, the biggest market, if you want to use that term. And with our app... uh, 50% 50% of downloads are always out of the US, and then the other 50% are sort of spread around the world. Uh, India, interestingly, is our second most um, downloaded country. But German, actually, I found, because uh, we've sort of been dabbling with the ebooks on Amazon, and German is quite popular. Um, but yeah, the rest of the languages here, a lot of the languages are spoken in developing countries. So 
in a way, we haven't done it with an eye to sort of making lots of money out of those markets. Um, it's more sort of serving into those markets, really, just providing them an opportunity to read, you know, the Bible stories in their own language. But I would say after English, German would be, um, if you really wanted to exploit that market, that would be a good one. And I've heard that on other podcasts, actually, that the German market is, um, you know, they're great readers. That's interesting. I did German at A-level. I'm just wondering whether I could resurrect it from my memory. (laughs) 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 Translating 50,000 words with A-level English from 35 years ago. It may may be not a good idea. Yeah, good good luck with selling books in that market. (laughs) I've got to talk to you about uh, India because this is an emerging market. Where where are you listing in in India? Have you got Amazon India? I I can't remember. I've uh, well, we do have um, – actually, I've just taken them off because technically you're not really meant to have Hindi language books on um, KDP or Amazon. Um, but, in, yeah, India is interesting because, of course, they speak English in India. Uh, and so we have translated all our stories into Hindi and Bangla or Bengali because of that's, that's also spoken in India, in, uh, I think, eastern India. Uh, but we haven't really um, – sold anything into India, although when I did list my Hindi language books on Amazon, there was um, a little bit of interest out of India, but we haven't really pursued that. It's uh, But saying that you are now able on our new website to go in and read the stories in Hindi and download the teacher packs in, in Hindi. But yeah, I do I do listen with interest when other uh, podcasts talk about the Indian market, because I agree, you are seeing some interest, but in terms of ebooks, I'm not sure. I think print rules in India. And what about China? Because that's another huge emerging market for us all. Absolutely. And we do have uh, an agreement. So we have partnered with a company uh, based out of Melbourne called Ebook Dynasty, and we are working with them to uh, sell our Chinese language um, Bible stories into that market. But that's an uh, ebook market. And so what ebook dynasty is doing is they're taking our um, simplified Chinese translation and they're just tweaking it a bit but they're also translating it into traditional Chinese because of course in China you have simplified Chinese that's spoken in uh, Singapore and mainland China and then you've got traditional Chinese that is not spoken written in Taiwan and Hong Kong and so we're doing two versions simplified and traditional Chinese to cover all those markets and we're going in via uh, ebook dynasty because they have the connections and the platforms we couldn't it would be very difficult for us to try and uh, uh, upload our content to Chinese platforms I mean we don't you know read the language very well um, so you have to go in via a partner and so we've created our first Chinese ebook uh, for these platforms, swallowed by a fish, and we're now working on our second book. But we have 13 titles, sort of in, you know, in in the um, background. So we're just slow, one by one, just getting these stories market ready and uploaded to these ebook platforms. Now, as if, as if all that wasn't enough, you are also <laughs> available in the uh, in the Apple and the uh, the Google Play Store. Uh, you have apps too. Uh, presumably, this has been done through Upwork again. Tell, tell me about the process for that. Yeah, an app. Yep. Okay. Well, I've still got my sanity. (laughs) Developing it. Oh, my goodness. I think if I knew then 
what I know now, I'm not sure if we would have, well, we probably would have gone down that road, but yeah, everything's sent to test you, Paul. <laughs> but with, with our app, we didn't actually use Upwork for the app. We found, um, and this is probably the only time we've used a New Zealand supplier, we found an app developer in Wellington. And so we started off with them uh, and we created, um, you know, version number one with them. And then we, uh, I had a contact living in China and New Zealand, um, man, he's been living there for 20 years based in Chengdu. And he had an app development arm to his company and I'd met him through other connections and so we then switched and worked through him because it was cheaper and that was actually a good move because we had started off when we thought let's do an app we thought let's just do uh, an iPad version we can't afford to do you know smartphone um, or Android versions but going to China and having the work done in China China meant we could do that. So we ended up working with the second app developer and he created us not only a uh, uh, Apple iPhone version, but also an Android um, version. Android's a lot more problematic because with Apple, you've only got so many devices, but with Android, you've got hundreds of devices. And so um, that can be quite tricky in the development process because how do you get an app to look good on you know, a multitude of devices that are different shapes and sizes and uh, so we worked with them to get that ready and then they decided to change tack and go um, change their business model but they recommended Han who's sort of a one-man band um, based in Shenyang which is north of Beijing and so now we deal directly with him and we've got our processes sort of where he's not really doing app development he's just uploading the stories and sort of making tweaks along the way so we're now on our third app developer um, yeah, very and challenging and development. And in business terms, are, are, are the apps um, are free downloads, so you're using the apps to drive traffic to, to the books, is that right? Um, well, that's not how we started out, but it looks like that's the way, <laughs> that, that's what, what, what it's doing. It's it's creating awareness. So on the, we actually started off uh, charging for the app, but then we decided – no, no, let's just make it free. And so you can download the app for free and all the stories for free, but you can choose to support us if you want. So for $8.99, you can uh, sort of buy the app if you speak, but saying that you can still download all the content if, even if you don't buy. But what you get, sort of, especially in sort of the faith market, is people support what we're doing. So they want it's just a way of support. But what it does do is it drives people to the website and uh, where they see all our resources. So we've got lots of printables, and I can talk to those in a bit. Um, but now this year, we're starting to look at print versions of the books. So, yeah, in a way, but not intentionally, the app is driving people to to the website and to the books. But that's not how we started out thinking. You've, uh, at the time of recording this, you've just literally uh, uploaded and updated your, your website, which is looking extremely uh, nice, very posh, very high quality. Uh, you know, uh, a lot, a lot of independent authors don't concentrate on this, but you look like a, you look like a huge business when you look at the website, you know, with all the people and things on there. It looks amazing. Um, so congratulations on that. Um, t tell me what the thinking is behind the website, because you've got, as you've just mentioned, things like coloring pages. It's very, uh, there's apps on there. You've got lovely animation on the front page. It really is high class. Yeah, well, that's thanks to Crystal, uh, who's our web designer in uh, Oklahoma. So I met Crystal on Facebook uh, a couple of years ago, and she's one of these friends you've never met. And we just got on quite well, and she, she has a faith as well. And so 
just in the course of um, chatting one day, I said, oh, well, you know, we've had a you know, few issues with another sort of web person. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I, I, this is what I do. And so, cut a long story short, we've ended up completely redoing the website thanks to Crystal. And so, again, Crystal and I just working on me, email. We work very well together. We use Google Drive to drop in the assets. Um, and, yeah, we just, we just hum away. And I think the time difference is maybe f- four hours at the moment. So even that's not so difficult. So for a large part of the day, we're actually on- online together and we're just flying emails backwards and forwards. And she's so good that she can take our idea and generally she gets it right first time around. So in a way, it's been the most enjoyable web development process I've ever um experience so yeah that's thanks to crystal and her her abilities but the good thing about crystal is she's very hot on seo you know search engine optimization and so she's really encouraging us to you know label everything correctly so it gets picked up because of course we don't really have a marketing budget so you have to be quite clever how you do things online one of the things that's interesting about the website is you've got a donate here button support this ministry but then also we've got some things that we sell as well so how much of a balance is it for you between ministry and and a business. So, yeah, so we're just figuring that out. We haven't really received any income from the project. It has been uh, largely self-funded and also some donations. So because you do find that people want to support what we're doing when they really understand that we're just trying to give as accurate an account of the you know, Bible stories as we can, and we're trying to help te- parents teach their children more about the Bible – you know, you get people coming on board and saying, actually, I want to support this. Um, at the same time, what we're doing does cost money. And so we're now looking to um, sell some products to basically, you know, fund, fund the project. What you're seeing at the moment is us playing around with the donate buttons and where to put them. So they're probably more prominent that they'll end up being. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's – it doesn't feel a conflict. It's more how can we raise money to keep the project going? And sometimes you're going to get people who want to donate, and other times you may get people that want to buy the products. Um, so, yeah, we're just figuring that out as we go, Paul. It's, it's an interesting, though, isn't it? Because, you know, you're doing a lot of work. You're running a big business here. You're coordinating an awful lot of people, um, and there's a lot of effort gone into this. You know, you can just see the quality when you look at it. So you've got to make a living out of it. But then still you've got this concept of, of ministry. It doesn't quite fall into charity. It's, it's a very interesting business model, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, my husband is very keen this year for us to, yeah, earn a little bit of money. <laughs> He's been supporting me for the last three years to do this. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's a little bit different um, because we do have a um, – I guess we really do want to help parents teach their children, you know, the true biblical account because what you get – in Christianity is a lot of watered down material. And so you get children growing up um, just not really understanding how exciting their faith can be. And so our whole um, push is to how can we serve parents? How can we help parents teach their children more about the Bible? Um, and so a large uh, portion of our market is in developing countries. They cannot afford materials. And so we really want to provide them with the materials to do this. So for us, we will never make any money. And that's absolutely fine. That's not our driver. At the same time, we do have costs associated with the project. So it's like, well, how can we, what can we offer? Uh, and so this is where the printed books and T-shirts and maybe some merchandise might come in. So I know I think they, they, they sit comfortably together because we do have this bigger purpose. We're not just a for-profit um, publishing company, so to speak, and we will never not offer the majority of what we do for free. That, that's, um, 
that's an agreement we have. At the same time, you live in the real world and you do have costs associated with the project. Yeah, absolutely. There are bills and people to be paid, aren't there? And that's always the, mm-hmm. the sort of the, the uh, driver. Um, I'm also interested because of the model you've chosen, whether you've ever thought about crowdsourcing, something like Kickstarter, because it just strikes me that there would be a lot of support you know, for something like that. Absolutely. I've actually thought of Patreon. Um, And in fact, I'm researching that right now. Um, But again, we've just finished this big development website development project. And so my brain's sort of full of web. Um, But in uh, February, I'm looking, I'm starting to look at other Patreon pages and just see how they do it. And I think on our support, our ministry page, I may link that to Patreon so that people can support what we do that way as well. So it's just another option. But uh, yeah, I looked at Kickstarter as well, just the amount of work involved. You know, when you've already got, you know, a thousand and one things to do each day, it can get a bit overwhelming, especially when you're sort of driving the project and doing a lot of things. So, uh, yeah, I think Patreon is something we'll look at um, in the next month or two. I'd like to focus then on, on what your day to day is like, because when you write the books, how, how do you write? Are you, are you a word person, a scrivener person? And do you have to do, because they're, they're shorter texts, do you have to do the plotting and all the things that, that other people do when they're writing thrillers and sci-fi books and things like that well the great thing about how i write is the story is already there it's in the bible and it's just how can you pull it out to make it um the most exciting dramatic story that you can and so my day starts off after i've taken the dog for a walk is i will generally focus on writing and sort of the creative process in the morning and then the afternoon is more admin and marketing but i'm a scrivener person but i don't probably use Scrivener to the um, its fullest extent because I'm not sort of pulling together a 100,000-word document. You know, I'm creating a, you know, 2,000, 2,500-word document broken into 17 um, separate pages. And so I'll start off in Scrivener. And the thing I like about Scrivener is I can import web links. So when I'm doing the research, um, I'll have, say, you know, the document that I'm writing into, but then underneath it, I'll have a you know, a drop list of websites or um, PDFs that I'm pulling in. And so that's what I like about Scrivener. It's this dashboard where all my resources, my digital resources sit. And so as I'm writing, I can just very quickly be clicking on the link that I need to, you know, get, get a certain fact. And so I will map out the story in Scrivener and then I'll change it. Um, I'll switch over to Word and then from then on it's in Word because that's what I send my editor um, and the our illustrator and our um, audio producer. So, um, yeah, so generally the, the stories start off. I find I'm most fresh and coffeeed up in the morning. And then by the afternoon, um, yeah, the creativity is kind of waning and that's when I get on and sort of do the the marketing and the admin and things like that. Although saying that, I'm terribly undisciplined, Paul, and if an interesting email comes through, yeah, I can't help but read it. So sometimes I just have to turn off my email so I'm not tempted. I think it's the same for everybody, Pip. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I'd like to say that I'm extremely disciplined, but that's not always the case. What about the illustrations? Because that's something unique you have in your business. How how do you get the illustrations into the finished books? So are you talking about books or the app? Uh, uh, The the books, when you're doing the books. How how does that work? So um, our illustrations – so we have – a PSD file, which is a Photoshop file that we then convert to a PNG. But with the, um, it's interesting you ask that because with the printed books, they're actually a different 
uh, format to the app. So with the app, you use the PSD files, the Photoshop files, and we'll just send those straight to the app developer, and he just slots them in, sort of one, two, three, page one, two, three, four, five. With the uh, and their RGB, if you want to get technical, their RGB files, so they're 72 DPI, which is all you need for digital. However, with print books, they need 300 DPI. Um, and so what we're now doing with our illustrators, every time he creates the illustrations now, he's creating 300 DPI files that can be um, converted down to 72 DPI files. But our book designer has to convert our illustrations to CMYK um, so that they yeah, they, they appear clear in the printed process. And all she does is she uses, I think, InDesign to lay out the books, and so she's just getting our PSDs, converting them to um, CMYK files and slotting them in. So you'll notice, well, you won't probably notice now because we don't have any printed books on the market, but the the colours are slightly different on the printed books to the um, app and the digital versions. How do, how do the, the Kindle ones work, though? Because I know I've, I've done some non-fictions, and I've inserted screenshots in mine. And when you download uh, books that have images in, you have to pay costs for the images. There's a slight – it's not, not an awful lot, but Amazon charges you more, depending on – it gets very complicated, this, whether you're on 35% or 70% royalties. Now, your, your digital versions – I'm just looking at Birth of the King here, for instance. It looks like it's made up of, of images. Is that, is that, is that correct? That's right. So I use Keynote, um, which is, you know, Apple's version of PowerPoint. And all I do is I just slot the images in as is. Um, and then I run the, once I've created um, the presentation, I convert it to a PDF. And then I run that through Kindle Kids Book Creator to get the Mobi file. And then I upload it to Amazon. And, you know, we sell those books for $1.99 because there aren't any delivery costs if you keep it a dollar ninety nine. However, if we were selling for two ninety nine, Amazon would start charging us delivery fee. And to be honest, the profit um, is negligible if you go up to two ninety nine because of those delivery costs. Yeah, I I, I um, didn't pay any attention to it at all. Uh, when I when I started doing it, and then I started to look at the numbers and thought, blimey, it does actually. You know, if you're shifting a lot. Um, it does start to add up a little bit you, and you have to be very mindful um, of it. it. It's one of the stings in the tail, I think, of, of, uh, of using illustrated books. Absolutely. And so by keeping it at $1.99, we don't have any delivery costs, so it doesn't really matter how big the file is. But I'll be honest, if we wanted to sort of bump up the price to $2.99, I'd really have to look at our file size. Um, at the same time, you want the illustrations to be the best quality you can because that's the whole point of having an illustrated children's book. So it's, it's that balancing it. So I'm kind of – Amazon's a work in progress, Paul. Yeah, it's <laughs> Trying <very> to, interesting. <laughs> Figure it out as we go. Yeah. The, um, and, and something I've zero experience of is the 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 children's uh, what did you call it the Amazon's ch- uh, children uh, section that you use to upload uh, the books to. Kindle Kids Book Creator. Yeah, that's a free software that they offer, and all you do is up. I think you can actually create the book in the software, but what I do is just load upload a PDF. And then, you know, spit out a Mobi file, and that's um, the easiest way. So it's probably not the best quality you can get, but it's the easiest way to get an illustrated book um, on, on Amazon. It's fascinating. Now, I know, uh, not from personal experience, but just like you from listening to podcasts, that I think Apple's a little bit more advanced in this area, isn't it? Doesn't it do cooler illustrated books? Yeah, well, you can – they have a software called iBooks Author, which actually – 
when I was doing the creative, um, the, the writing for children course, that's how I started out. So I was creating what I guess would be prototypes now using iBook author and the quality is going to be a lot better because you can just upload the illustrations and then you're, you're um, exporting that file straight into iBook so you don't have to uh, put it into any converter and so that's why you know we we're talking before about EIN numbers I would be very interested in going onto iBooks because the quality is going to be better if you create your book an iBook author than say using Kindle Kids Book Creator to get it onto Amazon. It's all very technical isn't it and it's not for the faint-hearted <laughs> I, I'm guessing you've been on quite a journey uh, technically to learn all of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, at some point you get actually sick of learning and it's like my brain just needs a rest. I'm so tired of trying to figure stuff out. But after three and a half years, you have figured a few things out and it does get easier. But you're always learning, Paul. And so that's one thing. I mean, you could work 24 hours a day implementing new ideas and you really have to pick your um, your path in a way. Otherwise, you could get pulled in so many different directions. But you, after three and a half, four years, you, you sort of figure out what works for you. One of the things I do want to, to talk to you about, we were talking about this before we, we started recording, is you've recently got married and you've changed your, your author name from Pip Dumbbell, which is what everybody knows you as, that's your brand, now to Pip Reed. And, and I just wanted to explore some of the logistical difficulties of that um, because um, it, it gives you a problem, doesn't it? Your, your, your name is your brand and, and now you've changed your name. Absolutely. And I don't think I've quite gone about it the right way. And my enthusiasm to get married, um, take my husband's name, I sort of thought, oh, well, I'll start switching things over. And I didn't give it too much thought. And perhaps I should have kept, you know, Pip Dumble um, longer. But what I'm doing to transition is have Dumble in brackets beside my name so that people sort of don't wonder, oh, who's this Pip Reed emailing me now? Um, but yeah, what, what the beauty with self-publishing is you can just go into your files and change the name. You know, we haven't printed 10,000 books with Pip Dumballer. And in fact, we're only starting the print journey now. So we've started off with Pip Reed. Um, you know, on Facebook, I've changed it to Pip Reed. So there is a sort of in-between phase, but I'm hoping because we haven't really um, sort of gone out to the world in a way with um, lots of printed products that not too many people have heard of me. And so when they do hear of me from now on, it will be Pip Breed. But yeah, it is a challenge. And I'd love to know how someone has done that well. So yeah, my, my solution is just to keep my maiden name in brackets for a while. And so people get used to seeing the read and then you carry on. Um, but at the same time, I'm going back every time I see a file with, you know, a story file with Pip Dumble, I just, I'm changing it to Pip Breed. So yeah. Not sure if I've done that correctly, Paul. By the time you get to your first anniversary, you'll not be only celebrating a year in marriage. You'll be celebrating the fact that you finally got all the names changed. Oh, I know. I know. And that's when you realize how much content you've created. It's like, oh, there's another file. Okay, change it there, change it there. So, you know, but also with, um, with the project, we don't really – like I understand that people – promote their name, you know, their, their author brand, but we haven't really, uh, in a way, Bible Pathway Adventures is bigger than the people involved. So you'll notice on the, we don't put the author or the illustrator's name on the cover. We don't mention any names in the app. It's more about the story. So I haven't really created a brand around me 
or a brand around our illustrator. It's more, here's the Bible story. Whoever wrote it isn't so relevant at the moment. But saying that, you can, if you're really interested in who's written the stories and illustrated the stories, you can go on our website and find out a little bit more about us and, and things like that. So I haven't sort of created a Facebook around my maiden name and suddenly, you know, I'm having to change the Facebook page and people are wondering who this Pip Reed is now. So um, I guess that's one thing, yeah, that makes it a little bit easier. How do you approach marketing, Pip? I see you've got um, you've got email, you've got a newsletter, so you seem to be doing all the things that independent authors have to do. What's your strategy for marketing? So, um, yeah, it's amazing when you don't have a marketing budget mm-hmm. <laughs> how creative you have to be. So we, we um, do a number of things. So firstly, you've got social media because that's free. And we um, – I choose – I work on five platforms, really. So I've tried a few things, but generally I've ended up sticking with Pinterest, Facebook, Instagram, Google+, and I guess you could include YouTube, and that's to promote Bible Pathway Ventures. And then Twitter's more for personal connections. That's under my name. Uh, and we find social media. I find Pinterest works very well for us. Um, I nearly gave up on Pinterest, actually, early on. I just couldn't quite figure it out. But I persevered, and um, now Pinterest drives – 95% of all social media traffic to our website. Wow. And, and, and you look fantastic, Pip, mm-hmm. on Pinterest, by the way. It looks amazing. Your, your, what, do they, what do they call your, your – I'm trying to remember what they call it on uh, Pinterest, your area, uh-huh. your account. Your boards. Your boards. That's right. That's your, boards. Yeah, your boards. Your boards are amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, and that was um, – I wasn't quite sure how to use Pinterest, but, again, listening to podcasts, you pick up some good tips. And so I realized, you know, I could create storyboards. I could create boards for our educational materials. I could create story cover boards. uh could, could create um, sort of places in the Bible boards, you know, a team board. And so I think we've got nearly 40 boards now. Um, but the our top board – uh, in terms of the number of repins is our um, free printables board. And so you get – because one of our market, our big markets is a homeschool market. We get a lot of interest from homeschoolers because, of course, they're always looking for uh, material. And so you get a lot of people of faith, especially in the States, homeschooling. And so our printables board is um, the most visited board, and people love to share. And so what – we have, and I try and make our activities colourful. So you'll see I've taken images from our stories and put them on, you know, the crosswords and the quizzes and things like that. And so, of course, people love to share beautiful images. And so we get our printables shared a lot um, around Pinterest. And of course, every image every is, is linked back to our website. And the great thing about Pinterest is the, 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 the um, posts last for years. So, you know, unlike Instagram or Facebook where things, you know, are gone in a day, Pinterest, you know, I'm having pins reposted that I pinned two years ago. And, you know, and of course, every, you've got to make sure that you link every image back to your website. And so that's why 95% of social media traffic comes via Pinterest. I've got to tell you, Pip, you have got the most amazing Pinterest presence I think I've ever seen it's just a, such a good use to it and anybody listening to this just take inspiration it's absolutely amazing Pip so you know congratulations on that it's a great bit of work that is I love it thank you yeah well one thing I figured out after, um, is that I could because our illustrator uh, gives us illustrations in um, PSD format and I have Photoshop you know um, this Photoshop software is that 
uh, he creates every character as a different layer. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with Photoshop. And so what I do when I receive the illustrations is I will pull out each layer. And so we now have this database of characters and um, trees and so everything you see in an illustration I can pull out as a separate asset and so I use those assets to create colorful activities and you know I load them up to Pinterest and um, yeah and so that's what you're seeing really is just we're just maximizing what we have to promote Bible Pathway Adventures because again you know we've paid for the illustrations so how many ways can you can you use it um, but I, I also love the way, Pip, the way uh, that you've brought in, you know, historical information. Um, you've got, um, you know, pictures of temples and buildings and things here. It's just an amazing uh, amalgamation of your content and other people's content. I don't think I've ever seen, you know, I don't think I've ever seen Pinterest users effectively of that. You need to start teaching this. It's fantastic. Oh, thank you, Paul. Well, I must say I didn't know what I was doing at the beginning. <laughs> and so it's just listening to how other authors use Pinterest and then you apply that. But I think that's one of the things, especially with our app version, is you have the Bible story, but you also have these adventure scrolls with this historical and archaeological information. And what that's doing is helping parents teach their children because you're providing context to the biblical stories. And so if you look at the app, we not only have these adventure scrolls, but we have these pop-up fat boxes. So we have a strong educational element to what we're doing. And so in a way, what you're seeing on each um, board is uh, a, an amalgamation of um, the stories and the um, historical information. And people seem to like that. You know, you don't get a lot of um, sort of Bible story collections that merge those two. I don't think before I spoke to you, Pip, I, I quite got a grasp of, of quite the scale of the business and the scope of the business that you're running here. Uh, it, it's amazing the way that you're balancing all these freelancers. You're doing some amazing work online. Um, do you see yourself as a writer still now primarily or, or as a businesswoman? Because you're running quite a business here. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't look at it as a business. We look at it as a ministry. Um, you know, we offer you know, everything we do for free. Saying that, we do need to get some income in um, to, to keep the project going. But I consider myself a writer, but I feel like a project manager <laughs> because you're just juggling so many things. But luckily, that's a strength of mine. You know, if you were quite, if you were a disorganized person, I'm not sure you can make it work, but you generally have to, um, yeah, I have uh, a, how do I put it? I use Evernote. And I just have a long to-do list and I have lots of different pages and I just keep tabs on everything. I have spreadsheets and things like that. And that's the way saying that you're not doing everything all at the same time. So, for example, I'm not really working with many of our translators right now because we've translated. We're pretty much up to date saying that as soon as we produce our next story, there's a flurry of activity um, with our translators. You know, I'm not working with our audio producer now, but I will be in two weeks when we record our next story. But that's like a four day process. And then that's done for another two months. You know, our illustrator, he's busy illustrating the next story, but I won't speak to him for another two weeks. So you don't have everything happening. It's not like we're creating, you know, 10 stories at one time. We're sort of doing it one at a time. So that's another way. Yeah, that, that, that's a way to keep, keep you know, the beast under control. Well, I'm, I'm tremendously impressed by what you're doing. What, what are the longer term plans for this? Keep going or have you got plans to broaden things out more? Uh, well, our plan is to create 50 stories. Wow. And so I think we're, we're developing Story 14 right now. So I guess it's sort of a, a long-term project. But I think our focus now is to take what we've done and 
um, continue to offer uh, all our materials, you know, free of charge. But at the same time, we're now moving into printed materials because I think with children, you know, it's one thing to offer e-books, but I think print rules in children's publishing. And so we are now working with fantastic book designer in, in South Africa called Sunette, and she's laying out each, um, our, our books. And then once we have what they, you know, a print-ready PDF file, which is the file you need to take to the printer, we'll then be looking to partner with people in-country uh, to, to um, print and sell the book. So instead of you know, printing thousands of copies and shipping them out of New Zealand, we will um, work with partners in-country. So, for example, we're, we're already uh, working with a um, partner in the States um, based in North Carolina and they are uh, creating T-shirts, Bible Pathway Adventures T-shirts, and they're also looking to um, sell the the books once we're um, at a stage where we've got a couple of books for them to go off and print. So that's very early stages. We're just figuring it out as we go. They get their T-shirts printed in India, and they may get the books printed in India just because of the cost. So it really is this sort of global business model where everyone's, you know, because of the internet now, you can just you can be anywhere in the world and just make things happen. I think it's a, a fantastic example of modern working and modern entrepreneurship. It's it's truly incredible the way you're working all over the world. Um, we, we, we need to finish now, but if you could just um, finish off, if you would, by telling us the main places where we can access your online content. And please mention Pinterest because I really want people to look at that as well. So everything um, lives on our website, which is BiblePathwayAdventures.com. And if you go there, you can uh, link through to all our social media accounts. You can uh, link through to the app. You can download all our activities, uh, our Bible stories. You can read the Bible stories in 12 languages. You can download the teacher packs. Everything's available on the website. If you go to Pinterest, uh, just type in Bible Pathway Adventures will come up. I think we're the sort of the biggest Bible story platform, so we should come up in the, you know, in the top search results. But yeah, everything stems from the website, Paul. Thank you for listening to this week's Self-Publishing Journeys. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with your indie author friends. Or you can leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whichever podcast directory you use. In the meantime, you'll find previous interviews and all the show notes at selfpublishingjourneys.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll have more great self-publishing tips for you next week.